As long as you share those with us, obviously we can only know about you, what you share with us in the application. Uh, and then also, you know, how we can build a class, like I mentioned before, of diverse uh, a diverse class of students um, who have different experiences, who are going to come and be part of a community where they are sharing those with each other and learning from each other and challenging each other. Um, and students who not just can be a part of that, but who want to be a part of that community. Welcome back to the DEI podcast. I'm Max Gaston. On today's episode, I sit down with Marisa Simon, Notre Dame Law School's Director of Admissions, to talk about changes to the law school's application in the aftermath of the Supreme Court's ruling on affirmative action. In the landmark decision of Students for Fair Admissions v. Harvard and its companion case, Students for Fair Admissions v. University of North Carolina, the Supreme Court held that race-based affirmative action programs in college admissions at public universities violate the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment, and in the case of private institutions like Harvard, violate the Civil Rights Act, and are therefore unconstitutional. Race-conscious policies like affirmative action previously allowed universities to consider a student's race as one factor in the admissions process in order to help create a diverse student body that enriches the educational experience of all students. Post-affirmative action, the law school has considered the implications of the Supreme Court's ruling on its overarching goal of building a student body that reflects the diversity of the human experience. Marisa and I will talk about updates to the law school's admissions application and what students should consider as they prepare to apply to Notre Dame Law School. Here is my interview with Marisa Simon. Marisa, welcome back to the DEI podcast. Thanks, Max. It's nice to be here. You and I last year sat down together to record an episode of the podcast where we did a deep dive on the admissions process to get into Notre Dame Law School and common questions that we hear when we are talking to applicants that want to um, come to the law school. Needless to say, it's been a really <laughs> eventful year since that episode. And so I thought it would be helpful for us to talk again and to tell students about the more recent updates to the application um, and including the changes that have been made since the affirmative action decision. So, you know, with that in mind, what does the Supreme Court's ruling say that would be most relevant for future applicants to know? Sure. And I'm going to read this word for word uh, just to make sure everyone is very clear. Nothing in this opinion should be construed as prohibiting universities from considering an applicant's discussion of how race affected his or her life, be it through discrimination, inspiration, or otherwise. A benefit to a student who overcame racial discrimination, for example, must be tied to that student's courage and determination, or a benefit to a student whose heritage or culture motivated him or her to assume a leadership role or attain a particular goal must be tied to that student's unique ability to contribute to the university. In other words, the student must be treated based on his or her experiences as an individual, not on the basis of race, end quote. Mm. So I think that that language is, you know, people will take their own interpretations of things and we won't try to interpret here what the Supreme Court um, is saying, but uh, that language in particular, I think is helpful for students to hear um, you know, nothing in this opinion should be construed as prohibiting universities from considering an applicant's discussion of how race affected his or her life. Um, 
that's really helpful to know when we think about um, where do the restrictions fall. Um, so, you know, folks listening, take that into consideration. The Supreme Court's ruling impacted the way that law schools are able to admit students, uh, but it hasn't actually changed the law school's values. And so I think it'd be good to hear from you, Marisa, if you could talk us through what the law school's values are, what they remain, and you know what we're looking for as we build out the next incoming class. Sure. And again, I'm going to use a quote here. This is from Notre Dame President Reverend John Jenkins, CSC, uh, and his response to the Supreme Court's decision this summer. At Notre Dame, our Catholic mission compels us to build a class reflecting the diversity of experiences and gifts of the human family. We undertake a comprehensive assessment of applicants, admit talented students with interests and aspirations consonant with our mission, and provide opportunities for a wide range of young people. These commitments are as meaningful today at Notre Dame as they were yesterday. We will study the Supreme Court's decision and consider the implications for our admissions processes as we strive to fulfill our distinctive mission. What I really love about that statement is the piece where uh, where Father Jenkins says that the commitments that we had yesterday are as meaningful today. You know, the idea that whatever is happening in the political landscape, in the in the courts, it doesn't change who we are as an institution and it doesn't change what our values are, which I think is really important for people to know. Um, exactly. I would add, too, that much of what we shared in our podcast last summer, if not all of it, is still going to be relevant to students this year in the applicant cycle. So for students listening, we're just going to talk about the changes to the application that we made this year. Um, but again, the advice that we shared last year is still going to be relevant to applicants in this and future cycles. What steps has the school taken, has the law school taken to make sure that it can continue uh, today as it did yesterday to meet its goals and support a diverse, inclusive student body? Sure. So I'll, we'll talk about each of the statement uh, prompts that we have for the three different statements uh, that we changed this year. But just to be clear, as we did in previous years, we collect race and ethnicity data for reporting purposes, and applicants may answer these questions accordingly on the application. We do not use race as a factor in the admissions decision. Applicants are encouraged to discuss race as part of their lived experience in other parts of the application, as we discussed, is uh, allowed with the new Supreme Court decision. Mm. And so you mentioned that uh, some of the essay prompts have changed. Why don't we maybe walk through those and give people a chance to know what is different about the prompts and uh, maybe add some context to what we're looking for for people who might uh, might find that helpful. And obviously, the first place to start is the personal statement. Um, that's the one that is the required statement that you need to submit. And so everyone's going to do it. What should people know about any changes that we've made to the personal statement? Sure. And I want to preface, preface this by saying we do understand that most, if not all, law schools are requiring a personal statement from each applicant and that from the applicant perspective, you might be writing your personal statement broadly so that you may submit it to each law school. We certainly understand students doing that. And that's also why we have the two additional optional statements that you can really make specific to Notre Dame Law School. So if the personal statement for you as a student is generally directed to law schools and not specific to Notre Dame, that is certainly fine and, and understandable. That's not going to give you any sort of disadvantage in the admissions process. 
Uh, So this is how the Notre Dame Law School personal statement prompt reads. The admissions committee gives considerable emphasis in its evaluation to the personal statement. The statement should provide the admissions committee with insights about the applicant and the applicant's interest in pursuing both a legal education and career. The most effective personal statements also typically provide further insight into the writer's personality, background, professional interests, or matters that are not fully present in other parts of the application. An applicant may consider answering the following question. In what ways have your culture, upbringing, or experiences inspired and motivated you and your pursuit of a legal education? Again, that is left fairly broad so that students may submit a personal statement that they are also submitting to other law schools. I was on a panel discussion the other night um, with an organization that works to support students from different backgrounds to apply to law school and kind of help them along the way. And we were talking about personal statements, diversity statements. And one of the things that came up was the idea that students, if you're going to submit a statement sort of generally, really be careful and make sure that you read um, you read through to make sure that the prompt for one school fits the statement that you've written that you're submitting to all of these other schools, right? So uh, Marisa just read the prompt that Nareem has for its personal statement. If you've got a general personal statement that doesn't necessarily fit within that scope as broad as it is, then you want to be mindful of that. And also just the simple things like name checking the school that you're submitting um, in the essay. There's nothing worse than, you know, reading at the end of a personal statement. And this is why I really want to go to, I don't know, X law school. That's not Notre Dame. But going back, Marisa, to the to the changes that were made specifically that you were reading out. Can you just add some context to what the inspiration was behind um, behind some of the new language? Basically, we wanted to give every applicant the opportunity in every statement, especially given that the personal statement is the only required written statement uh, to share their lived experiences, um, you know, as we've discussed, is still allowed. Um, And so changing the question, kind of offering that uh, opportunity to the students. Um, But I would say to your uh, comments, Max, about personalizing, I would say for our office, I would prefer that a student submit a Y Notre Dame statement rather than tailor their personal statement to Notre Dame, if that makes sense. Um, The Y Notre Dame statement and then also the different kind of lawyer statement, which we'll talk about, uh, do not have to be as long as the personal statement. They are certainly welcome to be, um, but it's much safer not to name schools in your personal statement if you're submitting that to many schools uh, and to instead write a separate statement specific to that school about their program and their mission. Mm. What are the changes to the Why Notre Dame statement that students should be aware of? Sure. So we shifted the language in this prompt. Um, and I believe this does actually tie our prompt even more closely to the Notre Dame Law School and University of Notre Dame missions. Uh, and also then gets really specific in terms of what we're looking for students to answer. So first to start off, Last year, we talked about the change that we removed the early decision program, the binding program for students, uh, and we're really encouraging students to demonstrate their interest simply through the Wine Notre Dame statement rather than through a binding admissions program. And we talked about for the, the reasons for getting rid of that program last year in the last podcast episode. But for this year, uh, I want to emphasize that applicants are highly encouraged to submit the Wine Notre Dame statement 
and use it to express why they wish to attend Notre Dame Law School specifically. Uh, if Notre Dame is the or a top choice for you, it can be noted in this essay. So this is really where we want to hear that. If you would have considered some sort of early decision binding program, this is where we want you to tell us that Notre Dame is your top choice, but you're not being committed to that in the admissions process in any way. Notre Dame is fundamentally an inclusive institution. It's a place where we want to invite people in. We don't want to push people out because of who they are. And, you know, we really framed the statement last time around to give people the opportunity and let them know we want them to tell us how you can support an inclusive environment. And I think that the language that is in the new or the updated Why Notre Dame Statement prompt really underscores that further. Um, you know, asking students, you know, how do your actions and community involvement demonstrate your commitment to the values that we have as a law school? Um, and then giving those examples, you know, law as a vocation, you know, excellence with purpose, inclusion and belonging, integration of reason and faith, you know, all of those things, um, they're all different aspects of what makes this place really special and what makes it really inclusive. And so, you know, can you, I mean, for folks who are listening to this episode and maybe haven't listened to the one that we did a year ago, uh, can you maybe just say a bit about the the hope that we have that people can express here, among other things, why they believe they want to be in an inclusive environment and how they can contribute to that? Sure. And I want to say, or I, uh, the reason why we changed this prompt is so that we are getting the kind of answers that we're looking for from the students. And this is not to tell you exactly what you should write about, but there is a difference between an okay Weiner name statement and a great Weiner name statement from a student. Um, I think an okay statement is one that is a little bit more superficial, one that students have, you know, looked at our website, seen a couple of the program names, and are able to write that into their Weiner name statement. The ones that are, we're really looking for are ones where we can learn more about the student and not just their academic interests, but also their values and how that ties into the mission of Notre Dame. And so that's why we shifted the question this year is that the legal education at Notre Dame Law School is unique and we do have strong values. And we want to bring in a class of students that believes in that mission and that carries their own values, some of which may align perfectly with Notre Dame Law School, some of which may be a little bit different, but that students are able to express that and enter into a dialogue into an inclusive community where they can share those. And so getting a taste of that in their Weiner name statement from the admissions process, that helps us understand what kind of community we are building through the admissions process. The other optional statement that the law school has is the different kind of lawyer statement. Can you talk a little bit about what that statement is and how it's changed recently? Sure. So different kind of lawyer comes from the mission of the law school to educate a different kind of lawyer. And that is one who sees law as more than just a profession, but a service to others. And so the setup to this prompt is actually the same as it has as it was last year and it has been in the year prior. Um, but we did, again, shift the questions, the actual questions that we're asking students to answer uh, through this essay prompt. So the questions this year are what experiences, hardships, or adversity have you faced that have shaped your perspective on law and justice? And how has your own circle, your culture and community, 
inspired you, your morals and ethics. And again, this is tying back to the mission of Notre Dame Law School uh, to really consider the moral and ethical dimensions of the law. Mm. I think what is really great about the two options that are here are it gives students an opportunity to talk about things that they've overcome, things that have really demonstrated, I guess, their resilience. But it also gives students an opportunity to talk about the the inspiration that they draw from where they come from, whatever their culture is. And culture doesn't have to be necessarily tied to your ethnic uh, origins. It can be tied to the 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 neighborhood that you grew up in. It could be tied to the schools that you went to and, you know, the the sports teams that really inspired that community. Uh, culture can be so many different things as, you know, as all of these words, diversity, belonging, like all of that um, is more expansive than I think we give it credit for being. But what's great here is you can talk about the things that you've overcome or the things that have inspired you because not everyone has necessarily faced um, a hardship that they feel comfortable sharing or that um, they think is something that they want to talk about in a, you know, in a statement. Uh, and, you know, being a different kind of lawyer shouldn't just be about the struggles that you faced. Um, it certainly can be those things, but it, you know, it doesn't have to be limited to adversity. It can also embrace the really beautiful parts of uh, where you come from that can add to what the what the law school experience will be within a class. Right. And just to emphasize, we talked about this a lot in the last episode, but we are really trying to learn about each individual student from these essays. So we really hope that the students do some self-reflection and write about what is important to them rather than what they think we would like to see. Because we are trying to build a diverse class of students, we want to hear about the different experiences that each unique student has had. The court says a benefit to a student who overcame racial discrimination must be tied to that student's courage or their determination, um, or a benefit to a student whose heritage or culture motivated him or her to assume a leadership role or attain a particular goal must be tied to that student's unique ability to contribute to the university. So I think the other thing that's really helpful about these uh, different these different prompts is, you know, a student can talk about what they've overcome. A student can talk about what they've achieved. A student can talk about what inspires them. And those things are not particularly, um, you know, uh, are not particularly or not specifically um, about that student's race or sex or gender or any of those things. It's really just what they did in their life that they're proud of and that they believe can help them in their pursuit for a legal education. And so, um, you know, I love that this prompt gives students an opportunity, um, as we've always tried to do, just to talk about their experience. The law school also has made a few changes to its application uh, just for general purposes. Uh, one of those areas that have been updated are the questions around character and fitness. Uh, can you talk a little bit about um, the changes that have been made there? Sure. The main reason we made changes to the character and fitness questions were really just to add clarification for students who have, you know, sometimes asked us questions about what they should or should not include in response to these questions. So the new language for the first question reads, 
Have you ever been disciplined, uh, i.e. suspended, dismissed, expelled, asked to withdraw or place on probation, or found responsible for any academic, scholastic, disciplinary, or other misconduct by any school, college, or university, and to please include in your response an explanation of any instances where you have been accused of wrongdoing and are subject to a pending or incomplete academic, scholastic, disciplinary, or other misconduct-related proceeding at any post-secondary institution. So hopefully for students who had looked at the previous questions and were wondering and were unsure about whether or not or, or how to answer that question, hopefully this provides a little bit more clarification. And then the same for the second character and fitness question has been changed to have you ever been charged with or convicted of a misdemeanor, felony, or other crime? This includes charges that are pending or to which you have pled guilty or no contest. But this excludes expunged convictions or arrests. So just for people who haven't applied previously to our school or haven't seen our previous questions, can you sort of identify what is different in the language here versus in our previous language? The main differences uh, are just being more specific with what um, kind of disciplinary actions or what charges should be included and which shouldn't. Uh, again, hopefully this, for students who are reading these questions, hopefully it's clear um, when thinking about their own history how they should answer either yes or no. Right. And so I think one of the areas is that last line that says this excludes expunged convictions or arrests. Um, I know at least I've gotten questions from students who might have some kind of a background and they want to be as open and honest in disclosing everything as they should. You know, that's the best way to um, really demonstrate uh, your, you know, your strong moral character to be completely candid and forthright. Um but they don't know if they have to disclose something that's been expunged. Um, this, I think, is a great way to just answer that question for some folks so um, they can have a little bit of comfort if they've worked really hard to um, you know, rehabilitate their reputation. Whatever happened in any uh, conviction is going to be unique. Uh, any arrest is going to be unique. But if they've worked hard to move on from that and in part done that by getting that arrest or conviction expunged, having a bit of comfort to know that that is not something that uh, needs to be reported and that's not them hiding anything from us. Right. And I think one important piece of it, too, is that at Notre Dame Law School, we send our graduates all around the country. And so, um, you know, the reason why we're asking these questions is for uh, for the future when students are applying to a bar that may be in any state in the U.S. And so in addition to, um, you know, the bar examination, their character and fitness and other qualifications for admission to the bar in every U.S. jurisdiction. So applicants are encouraged to determine the requirements for any jurisdiction in which they intend to seek admission by contacting that jurisdiction. So our questions also are, you know, we try to word them somewhat broadly so that we can capture those um, those differences, but students really should also do their own research if they think that they may need to answer yes to one or both of those questions um, to look at the jurisdiction where they um, plan to seek admission. The law school is also in the process of making changes to the way that it awards financial aid packages to students. 
Can you talk a little bit about how students are considered for scholarships this coming year? Sure. And this, again, is just a different change that we made this year, kind of separate from all the other things that we've talked about so far. But, uh, you know, we are trying to find ways to award more need-based aid. So we are still awarding merit scholarships based on holistic review. That, of course, is going to include LSAT score and undergraduate GPA, but also the other pieces of the application that we're considering for admission. We're also considering those when awarding merit scholarships. For students who would like to be considered for need-based aid, we're really encouraging them to complete the free application for federal student aid, which is also called FAFSA, F-A-F-S-A, to complete that as early as possible. You can submit your FAFSA to Notre Dame using the institution code 001840. Um, And again, we encourage students to do that as early as possible in the application process. Even if you haven't yet been admitted to Notre Dame, that will help us to consider applicants for need-based financial aid that may be may or not be uh, in addition to a merit scholarship. Marisa, something that we didn't talk about during our last episode that is a question that we get a lot from applicants who have already submitted their application and are waiting, or maybe they've heard back and it turns out that they're on the wait list and they haven't you know, gotten any information subsequent to being told they're on the wait list, is what can I do to show the law school that this is the place that I want to be? I'm really interested in coming here. And, you know, there are obviously a few different answers that you can give to a student. Hey, here are some things that you can consider to learn more about us, to get more involved, to demonstrate your interest. There are things like continuing letters of interest, uh, campus visits, reaching out to members of the community. Um, And sometimes students you know, find that useful. Sometimes they exhaust all of those things and they still haven't heard anything back. And that question just kind of lingers there. What else can I do? Talk about what students can do um, when they are sort of in that waiting period to hear back from us about a decision. Sure. And I understand that this is, for some students, maybe different from their experience with applying to an undergraduate institution I know for Notre Dame undergrad, there are specific days that they just two days a year where they release all the admissions decisions. And so since this is a shift with law school admissions being a rolling admissions process, some students may be waiting around for a while and not know when that decision is coming. That almost makes it harder um, when you don't even know when the decision will come, let alone what that decision might be. Unfortunately, from the student perspective, really the only thing when if you haven't yet received an initial decision is to keep waiting. Um, Of course, if there's anything that changes to your application from when you had initially submitted it, we, of course, would want to know that, especially if a decision has not yet been rendered. Um, So if you're a current student and you have grades from your fall semester that are now available, make sure that you send those to us either as an unofficial transcript or ideally have your official transcript with semester grades sent through LSAC so that we're able to, uh, or they can generate a new cast report and we can review that uh, with the rest of your application when we are able to get to it. I would say, please know we're trying to get through applications as quickly as possible. Um, we do have a small team and we uh, sometimes it does take us longer, especially depending on the time of year, to get to reviewing all the applications that have been submitted to our office. Um, So as long as you know that your application is complete 
and there isn't anything that you need to add or change from your perspective um, that really just need to, to be patient and wait for that decision. Now, my advice does change if you've already received a waitlist decision. And at this point, we don't have anyone, um, you know, this point in the year, this being September, have anyone who is currently on the waitlist. But for anyone who's listening to this in December, January, um, or even May or June of next year, if you've already received a waitlist decision, one of the best things that you can do is submit a letter of continued interest. And even if you already submitted a why or name statement and the letter of continued interest is um, somewhat repetitive of that, that's fine. But having that additional document for us is kind of an easy way to look for students on the wait list who we know are still interested in attending Notre Dame Law School. Um, in that letter of continued interest, if you can tell us about the level of interest that you have for Notre Dame, especially if Notre Dame is your top choice or one of your top choices, uh, it's important or helpful for you to tell us that in that letter of continued interest. Again, if there's anything that has changed in your application since you initially submitted it. So if you're you know, in school and, and you graduate in May to make sure that your updated grades again are sent to our office if you're still on the wait list in May and June or even July um, to make sure that we have all of the correct and relevant information for your application. Now, when it comes to contacting other people or visiting the law school, that would be for the student's benefit, not to the admissions decision. So we would recommend visiting so that you know if and when you get admitted to Notre Dame Law School, whether or not you would, you would want to attend, especially for students who are on the wait list later into the summer. And if you get admitted in July, you may need to make a decision very quickly about whether or not you will enroll at Notre Dame Law School. So if you have already visited, if you have talked to um, some of our current students, our ambassadors, and you're able to make that decision as soon as you hear from our office, that's kind of the best scenario to be in instead of, um, you know, trying to make a quick trip out to Notre Dame, especially if, if you live far away. Um, so that would be the benefit to visiting was more for the student perspective to learn more about Notre Dame Law School rather than, you know, we know that not everyone has the opportunity to visit Notre Dame and we don't want to hold that against anyone. So we're not going to advantage a student for visiting if they're on the wait list. What should students do if they want to apply early, but say, for instance, they haven't taken the LSAT yet or they have an LSAT score and then they want to take another LSAT, um, but they maybe want to submit an application before they get it? We do get these kinds of questions a lot, but a lot of it depends on the individual student. So the best thing that you can do is apply when you can put your best foot forward. Um, if you have an LSAT that's pending, especially if you believe that LSAT score is going to be stronger or significantly stronger than the current LSAT score that you have, it may be better to wait to apply so that we can use that score in our evaluation rather than the score that you currently have. But that's really going to be individual for each student based on the score they currently have, what score they think they might be able to um, obtain on a future LSAT. So um, the same goes for students, again, who are current students in enrolled in school who are working on those senior grades, um, especially if you're very close to the median and you feel that you're going to have a strong fall or spring semester and that's going to put you over that number. Um, that can make a difference in the admissions decision. And so 
just to think about when you can really apply, put your best foot forward. Um, and again, if you apply and you don't have um, or you want to update your application, you can still do that as long as the admission cycle is still active. Um, and I would say even if you have already received a admissions decision from us, if you have a significant change to your application within that same admission cycle to contact us and to let us know of that update. If you get put on the wait list, for example, and then you still have one semester of grades waiting to to come through, and that's a great semester of grades, and then you share it with us, and that maybe is going to be useful information for the admissions team to have that could push your application off of the wait list and into the admitted students group. Right, because we're looking at not only the cumulative GPA, but also a student's trend in their grades over time. And so if we're looking at that trend in your grades and we want to see those fall or spring grades to see if your upward trend is continuing, um, then that could be helpful to us, not just for that that final number of that cumulative GPA, but also for the trend in your grades and to show that you're still being an active student in your senior year, um, that you're really focused on your academic coursework and that you are preparing for the rigors of law school. And that with GPA, I think, at least for some students, is a little bit easier to predict because you have a sense of how you're doing in your classes. LSAT is a little bit harder to read. Maybe you can go off of how your practice tests are, but when you're in the room for the actual test, it just feels different. You know, speaking as someone who had to do that, it just it's just different. And so, you know, if you've got an LSAT score, that is fine. Maybe you think you can do better. Um, and the rest of your application is ready. Uh, is the I mean, is the answer still kind of it, it depends? Should I submit the application and then take the S, the LSAT again, or you know, does it just depend? It it, it does. Um, again, it you know, it's kind of to the student's own um, how how the student is feeling about their application. If everything else is ready to go, one important thing to note, and this is really just kind of a technicality, is that. If at the time that you submit your application, you are already registered for an LSAT that is in the future, your application will not be marked as complete for review until that LSAT score is added to your application. That is just how the, the electronic system works in terms of kind of the automated, the automated pieces. So if you are in that situation, but you would prefer that we start our review of your application, of your, of your application, um, to make sure to contact our office and let us know that we need to basically force complete your application. And that doesn't mean we we still won't get your LSAT score that is in the future. Um, we will receive that, um, but we'll be able to start our review of your application earlier. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you email us and then that day we read your application and make a decision. Um, you know, we, as I mentioned, we have a small team and we have a lot of applications that we receive, especially at certain times of the year. So um, it's possible that we may not read your application until that score comes in anyway, um, just by the volume of applications that we have. One of the other things I think would be useful to talk through is transfer applications. And so some of those are going to be uh, students who maybe didn't get accepted the first year uh, that they applied to Notre Dame and they chose a spot somewhere else, people who maybe were on our wait list. Who are the folks who should consider applying to transfer to Notre Dame Law School? 
Yeah. So I think tying the waitlist conversation to the transfer conversation is that anyone that we offer a spot on the waitlist, I would say, is a student that we ultimately would want to admit. It's just we don't have as much room in the class as we as for all the applicants who are strong applicants in our pool. Um, so I hope that gives those students some confidence in knowing, even though that a waitlist decision doesn't mean they get to attend Notre Dame Law School, um, that that is kind of a positive review from our office. And that's not to say that students who are denied aren't necessarily included in that as well. Um, I would say from the applications that I've read, there's a lot more students I would like to admit who we just not are not able to. Um, but particularly if you were offered that waitlist decision, um, you may consider applying to transfer to Notre Dame Law School if Notre Dame Law School really uh, you know, seems like a good fit for you and the place that you ultimately want to earn your your JD. Um, that you can uh, you can really offer a stronger application through the transfer process because there's less focus on your LSAT score or your undergraduate GPA and more focus on your actual performance in your first year of law school. Um, so if you feel like especially those stats or, or one of those stats was not indicative of your academic potential, you may want to consider applying through the transfer process after you're able to complete at least one semester or a full year of, uh, of law school at another school. Uh, you can apply after completing your first semester, but you will have to complete a second semester before you can actually enroll at our law school as a transfer student. Um, but depending on how strong that first semester is, we may be able to offer a conditional uh, admission knowing that your spring grades are hopefully going to be at that same level. Um, and uh, it is important to note that anyone considering this transfer process, that transfer students are not eligible for scholarship funding from Notre Dame. Now, that doesn't mean a student couldn't find other scholarship sources and use external funding to help pay for their Notre Dame Law School tuition for their final two years of their JD, um, but that is going to be potentially a prohibiting factor for some students who are considering that transfer process. Um, so think about that carefully if that might be the process for you, especially if you are someone who has applied in previous cycles and feels that you may be able to offer a stronger application by showing one year of experience in law school rather than applying to be a 1L at Notre Dame. Is there anything really noteworthy about the actual application process for a transfer student? The biggest difference is that we do interview the transfer applicants because that applicant pool is so much smaller than the 1L applicant pool. We are able to use a, an interview process. And so that really helps us learn more about students, um, especially when we can read their application and ask them basically follow up questions about what they're doing and what they really like about having been through one year of law school and their specific interests and goals and how um, I think it's I really like about that process is we can see how that's evolved from that 1L application that once a student has some of those real experiences in law school that really puts them on a trajectory that they can be much more articulate about in that after that first year. Marisa, one of the things that you mentioned earlier while you were speaking was the holistic review that the law school takes in approaching its applications. And 
we did talk about the holistic review process the last time that we had our podcast together. Um, now, within the new sort of landscape with the changes that have been made to our specific application, um, is there anything that students should know that they didn't already know or anything that we want to remind students about when it comes to how we approach the holistic review? Sure. I, I really don't think a lot has changed from our perspective, and I do encourage students to listen to that podcast episode from last year. Um, it sounds like it's still being found by a, a lot of people, and so I think that hopefully that will be helpful to students as they work on their applications. Um I do want to remind students that it is a holistic process. We genuinely read through every single application that comes to our office, which maybe is why it takes a little long sometimes, um, but that we are looking at at all the information that you're submitting to us. Um, of course, as we talked about a lot in the last episode, um, we are considering your LSAT score, your GPA, but we're considering that within the context of your experiences, of your circumstances. Um, as long as you share those with us, obviously we can only know about you what you share with us in the application. Um, but everything that we can learn about you, we're determining, um, you know, whether or not we think you can be successful at Notre Dame Law School, uh, and then also, you know, how we can build a class, like I mentioned before, of diverse, uh, a diverse class of students um, who have different experiences who are going to come and be part of a community where they're sharing those with each other and learning from each other and challenging each other. Um, and students who not just can be a part of that, but who want to be a part of that community. Something I think is really important for students to hear from us uh, within what you were just describing is around the question of merit. And when you take a holistic review, part of it means that we're not we're not making determinations of people exclusively on raw numbers. We're looking at uh, your experience, your resume. We're looking at um, the things that have happened to you in your life and how that has shaped you and your ability to uh, be successful as a law student. And so what I think is really interesting is understanding merit around things that aren't just your LSAT score and your GPA. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the idea that what we look for when we're talking about these other aspects that aren't your numbers um, are merit to in consideration of an applicant? Sure. I think this is more of a, like I said, we really encourage student reflection. So this is maybe more of a personal question for students to identify what they feel their accomplishments are. Um, you know, you may feel accomplished by the GPA that you have, whether or not that is, you know, around or above our median. Um, if that is an accomplishment to you because of your experiences, because of your circumstances, I think if you can articulate that to us in the application, that just gives us more information to consider um, how how you feel about your own accomplishments. If there are things on your resume that you feel like are an accomplishment, obviously make sure that the, those are, you know, present in your resume, that maybe they're even highlighted in some way. Um, but if you really want to focus on those in another piece of your application to do that too, um, one of my favorite interview questions that I've used more for um, for hiring, um, but I think maybe it's just for, for some students to think about too, is what is the proudest, what 
accomplishment are you proudest of that you wouldn't put on a resume? And I think that helps someone think about what their values are. And again, if that's something that you can articulate to us, especially in your why or dame statement or your different kind of lawyer statement, of what are you really proud of? What are you proud of that you've accomplished? And like I said, some of it may be those things that we often consider as accomplishments, especially kind of more um, measured or, you know, our metrics. Um, but it maybe it's something else. And like I said, I think that can help you identify what your values are, too, if you haven't thought about them in that way. Marisa, this is why we have you on the podcast. Um, <laughs> I love that so much. I mean, what a hot admissions take. What would you put on your what would you say is one of your proudest moments that you wouldn't put on your resume? I've never heard it said that way before, but that to me really does capture what are your values. And that's something that we really actually do care about. You know, we're not just saying it, who you are matters because that shapes what the whole class experience is going to be when we care about who is sitting next to us. And um, there are people that care about you as well. That's, I mean, that's really great. And so taking that in context, something like, I'm really proud of the fact that I took care of my sick mother and I, you know, I did that while I was putting myself through school, um, gives color to um, what your GPA was, what your performance and your trajectory was with your grades, um, what you managed to do in, in, your, uh, in your leadership experience and the summer positions that you were able to get and like all of those things that you were able to do, plus what you cared about that, you know, also added an extra layer. Clearly, there are a lot of changes happening in the admissions landscape. Do you have any parting words, Marisa, for prospective law students? I hope that for each of you, when you do put your application together and you're ready to submit it, that you look at it and that you are proud of yourself for what you've accomplished and all the things that you see um, you know, you are you are putting that all together to share with us. Um, but I hope that that self-reflection makes you proud of what you've done. Um, I will say that, you know, I know for people who are not sure if they should apply, you know, they're not sure whether they'll get in. I can definitely tell you that if you do not apply, that you will definitely not be admitted. Um, that is sure. Um, so if you apply, just take your shot, you know, see what you can do um, and and do apply to a range of law schools. Um, you know, anyone I think will tell you that. Um, but really think about what you've accomplished, um, you know, what you want to show us and put your best foot forward. One other question, actually. So can you maybe just for fee for folks who just for the benefit of people who are listening, tell people um relevant dates for the application things that they should know if they're applying right now sure so as of this recording we're into september which means the application for enrollment in fall 2024 is open already so the application is typically open on september 1st for the jd1l application uh, the final deadline for the application is march 15th but we do encourage students to apply well before that. Um, as we have been talking about, it is rolling admissions and it does become more competitive toward the end of the cycle. So the earlier that you can submit your application, the better. That does not mean that you have to submit it in the first week of September or even in the months of September or October. But if you can get it in on the earlier side of the cycle, especially the earlier, the first half, um, that will give you the most uh, advantage in the admissions process in terms of timing. 
Best of luck to everyone in the application process. Marisa, thank you again for joining us on the DEI podcast. Thanks, Max. The DEI podcast at Notre Dame Law School is produced by Notre Dame Studios. Every episode, we sit down with important voices in law, culture, society, and business to talk about issues that touch all of us. If you liked what you heard today, become a subscriber and get notified every time we upload an episode. And tune in next time for another great conversation on issues that touch us all. Until then, take care.